Howdy, everyone. Welcome to the Art of Make Game Mastery's Finding Paths stream. Uh, I'm John. This is my co-host, Jack. And today, we are going to be talking about something that was kind of an impromptu topic, uh, and that is West Marches. Um, as some of you, at least I hope you probably know, given that we talk about it about at the end of basically every episode, but I run a West Marches-style Pathfinder 2e game um, called Shifting Sands. Uh, we run it out of Discord and on Foundry, and um, it's actually my first time running a game like this, and it's I've learned a lot of lessons along the way. And in a work uh, Slack thread with some other tabletop RPG people um, at, at work, we had a discussion around, someone was asking someone for advice around running West March's games, and I think there's a lot of things to talk about here. Um, and it should be noted that Jackie is actually a player in my game. So it's going to be neat to get my perspective as a game master for it, but also their perspective as a player in it. So I thought we just had to have a dialogue about what both of us like or dislike about West Marches, what makes West Marches West Marches, and things you can look out for when you're starting a West Marches game um, to kind of boost that game to be something that everyone enjoys playing. So I think before we get into the dialogue, though, let's take a little moment to talk about what is West Marches and what makes a West Marches game a West Marches game. So I don't know the exact date of this, but it's, it was a long time ago. Um, a guy whose name I actually forget as well, and it's terrible. Let's see if he, I have his blog post up. Let's see if he's got it here. Ben Robbins, that's what it is. Ben Robbins did a blog post on his personal blog um, about a game experiment he was running called West Marches. And West Marches was actually the setting of that game. It was kind of like a frontier land. Nothing had been discovered. So the character, the player characters were basically just, you know, trudging new waters, so to speak. Um, but he had basically three kind of tenets to this game. Uh, the first was that there was no regular time. Every session was scheduled by the players on the fly. Um, the second was there was no regular party. Uh, there were like a, it was like a pool of players, and each of them, e each party consisted of some subset of those players, and those players had multiple characters and could play whatever characters made sense for the level of content they were wanting to take on. And the last one is there was no regular plot. Um, basically, the players decided where to go and what they wanted to do, and that kind of determined what characters they took, etc. He, he goes on to mention that his primary motivation for doing this kind of experiment that it ended up actually working very well, mind you, um, is that uh, in your typical, you know, weekly or monthly or biweekly or whatever D&D uh, &D or Pathfinder game, tabletop RPG game, it's not uncommon for player apathy to set in. That is, people get together once a week or once twice a month or once a month or whatever, and they get together and they're just like, oh, this is game night. I'm there. I don't necessarily really want to be playing the game right now, but you know, this is the night everyone gets together, so I'm going to be there. Um, that's one problem. The other problem is that players can sometimes feel like they can kind of get in complete, uh, a state of complacency where they just kind of feel like they're following the plot and want, like, and don't feel like you know, jumping out of the plot. It's not really railroading because it's not really the GM making the decision. It's more the players kind of just going with the flow of the plot rather than trying to, you know, engage in other aspects of the game. Um, so this, this kind of state of apathy is is what Ben Robbins was trying to solve 
uh, with this experiment. And as I mentioned, it was quite successful. And I think recent, relatively recently, uh, the idea of a West Marches uh, campaign has become really popular, um, especially online, because you can kind of get a bunch of people in a Discord. Um, you don't necessarily need to always go out and find party members because like you have a whole big pool of players there you can pretty much guarantee you can find someone who wants to play um it, it the idea that it's less work on the gm which i think we'll get into is probably a, a misunderstanding it is actually not less work on the gm um and i think that everyone just assumes it has to be a sandbox game but i don't necessarily think it needs to be a sandbox game that was his third tenant on here um but i i think that the idea of west marches could just as well work without being a sandbox game but we'll get we'll get into that later as well um so before i talk anymore though as i mentioned jackie was a player and there is a player in our shifting sands game and i'm hoping some other players in that game also jump in the chat here to throw in their opinions but jackie what what do you think like we've played several sessions now on such shifting sand you've been in basically all of them i think at this point um so you've seen me kind of experiment with things and you know figure out what does or try to figure out what doesn't work what works like as i mentioned this is my first time doing this so i'm kind of like learning as i go just just as everyone else is what do you think are some things that have worked well and or maybe some things that haven't worked so well well, to start off, um, you mentioned quite a bit, so I got a lot to unpack yeah, here. Yeah, sure, totally. Um, first, the problem that they were experiencing, um, would you say we were experiencing for our game night? Um, I would say that there were definitely sessions where myself or other people felt that way. I don't think mm -hmm. it was every session by any means. Um, right, exactly. And... Um, it's it's good to mention that this is not going to happen in every situation. Like it probably didn't set in right away. This is more of like the player apathy that you're describing kind of happens after the would you say the initial glow kind of wore off. Of yeah, Pathfinder. I think it's, I think it happens it. later in the life cycle of the game. Yeah, mm -hmm. typically. So we didn't, we didn't have it with Minds of Fandelver. It went you know that game we sh we closed it pretty quickly, um, and then Pathfinder Two we came out and we. We switched to that, and after the campaign had gone on for like the initial couple, maybe three major story arcs. Yeah, I'd say maybe like a year or so into it, something like that. Right, that's when the complacency set in, mm -hmm. and so if this advice, I feel like for West March, I just want to like make sure, like, and that, add that caveat that West March is not going to fix uh, problems at your table if you guys are new to gaming, or if this this you guys are you know your game session is still relatively novel. This is more of a, after everything has gone right for so long, now we come into this other end of the spectrum. And instead of seeing things like, you know, black and white, it's more like a spectrum. I also think you bring up a good point in that, um, that I don't know you're actually intending to make, but it is a good point nonetheless. But I think a lot of people who start West March's games might not do it. And, and this actually includes myself. I think a lot of people who start West March's games might not do it because of the reason Ben Robbins originally started his experiment. For instance, when I started Shifting Sands, it was more because um, I wanted a less, uh, I wanted to put more effort into the stuff up front and less of it over time. You know what I mean? Instead of having to build stuff as I, more stuff as I go, 
I want to be able to put a bunch of stuff up front and then have less work. It's not no work by any means. Like there's definitely work every time you run a session, but it's, I wanted to be able to like not have to be able to put as much work in between each session. And I also didn't want to have to commit to a, um, a weekly game because I am a very busy person and it's very hard for me mm -hmm. to find the time to commit to a game, but I still wanted to game master because I love game mastering. So this was kind of like a happy medium for me. Um, and it, it, for me, it wasn't out of apathy or anything like that. Um, I think that that was Ben Robbins reason for the experiment, but it, I think a lot of games actually, uh, West March's games out there, like on discord and whatnot are actually not because of apathy. They're because, people saw this idea of having a bunch of players together and they just thought it was a cool idea. It's the hot thing to do. Um, or they're like me and they just don't have a lot of free time. And this was kind of a way to say, okay, players probably don't have a lot of free time either. So let's let put the onus on them and say, Hey, when do you guys want to play? And you say, and if I can match that, then yeah, we can play that day, but it doesn't have to be a consistent once a week, once a month, bi-weekly thing that everyone has to commit to. Um, it, it's a lot more flexible, I think. And that's that's my reasoning for starting West March's game. And I and I feel like my, my gut tells me that that kind of uh, reasoning or, like I said, the the idea that just it's a bunch of people playing together are probably the more common reasons than Ben Robbins' reason of apathy, um, for better or worse. So I just want to throw that out there, and I, I think that was a good point you made. Um, so in addition to starting up a West March's game, I... I don't recommend starting a West Marches game with a new group, kind of like jumping back to where I was saying, you already had our group to pull from mm -hmm. and you already had like, like um, the people that I had recruited into my game, yeah. you already have, you know, your friends on the side, you know, from like the places you've lived, you've mm -hmm. got your work friends, you've got, you know, like our particular group that we had going. So you had people to pull from mm -hmm. when you got your West March style going. And so I'd like to, for anybody who's thinking about running West Marches, you need 10 to 14 people to run a smooth West March campaign. And if you start off with just, you know, four or five, it's not going to really feel very West March-ish. It's going to feel just like uh, an irregular game meet. Yeah. Which, uh, and which actually, totally our, cool. our game, even though we had a lot of people in the Discord, the first few sessions were really the same people. So mm -hmm. it ended up All feeling kind of like, players. yeah. And then we started to get more people who, you know, come in and were interested in playing more often so that we get, we could like, you know, spruce up the parties a little bit, change things up. Um, but there's still usually at least a couple people who are in every, every session just because they wanted, really wanted to play. Um, and that's fine. I mean, you'll have people like that, that will really eager to play. They want to try out different characters. That's one of the things West Marches actually does really well is that it lets you, lets you play test things really easily. Um, because if it doesn't work, you just don't mm -hmm. do it again. <laughs> or if you build a character, you don't, you know, you think it's cool, but then it doesn't really work out and play. You can just not play it again kind of deal. So I think that's one of the actual interesting things about West Marches. Um, but Jackie's right in that it is really hard to get started with a West Marches game. Um, and also I think, as I mentioned before, one of the misconceptions I think is that West Marches games are easier on the GM. And in fact, I, like I mentioned, I kind of felt this way. It might be this way too, which was one of the reasons I started West Marches and it's really not, uh, there's a lot of work up front. First of all, you have to build out whatever the setting is, right? Like Ben Robbins, he had West Marches. Um, you might, uh, I was kind of ambitious with mine and then I, it started out as sort of a mega dungeon slash West Marches. So I had to build the mega dungeon or at least 
most of it, right? The high level of it. And then I had to build the setting that was in. Luckily I have a, um, a world that I have been world building for a long time. And this particular region hadn't saw much love. So it was, it was a good chance for me to kind of flesh out this region of the world, um, and kind of introduce new things to it. So that was kind of fun, but there's a lot of work that goes into preparing for a West Marches game. And in fact, I will probably do a video like a, a a stream or a video or something where I show how I go about planning, how I went about planning the start of the West Marches game, but also how I plan each session. Because one of the misconceptions I had is that it would be less work in between sessions, which is not actually true either. Even though I did built all that world up from the get go, there's still a lot you have to do in between sessions because it's such a player driven game, right? You don't know where the players are going to go next. You need to, they're going to tell you what they want to do. So you either have to have all that stuff figured out ahead of time, which is a lot of work, or you need to, which is slightly easier work, but still a lot, is you need to um, listen to what they want to do, have the time between when they say they want to do it and when you play to flesh out that bit, right? And then perhaps the even harder part is that once you flesh out that bit and once they play through it, now you have to find a way to connect it back to everything else to make the world seem realistic, right? Because if, if they go through this dungeon, right, and something happens, now that whatever happened is shared amongst everyone in your West Marches game. So now you have to figure out, okay, so the, the state of the world is like this. After the players do this thing, now the state of the world is that, right? Now I have to keep track of that. And now the new, another group of unrelated players come in with unrelated characters. Now what do they do, right? They, they know, probably they know that the state of the world is now this, but they have to figure out something else to do. So you constantly have to put things in the world for them to do. Otherwise, everything's going to be exhausted and they'll have, no one will have anything to do. Um, and I think Jackie, when we first started the game, you kind of, brought me to the realization that um, quest boards are a great way to do this. Uh, even if they're just simple, <laughs> like, fetch, fetch quests. Like, I was trying really hard not to introduce, like, stupid quests, but sometimes those fetch quests can actually be the, tr the spark that triggers them to want to visit somewhere, right? Um, it can be the thing that motivates the, the players and the, their characters to embark on some adventure right it could be they're like okay well this quest says they want x item like furs or something right well i don't know exactly where furs are but over here it says there's hunting ground so something over in this direction probably has furs so um is there a dungeon over there or maybe is there a a uh, what i call it, a lair over there where there's like a big monster mm -hmm. or something Maybe we'll find something over there. So let's see what's on. Let's see. Let's check out the map and see what's over there. And I think that that's I the kind of know. thing you need as a when is you need something to spark the player's motivation to do things. I mean, if I think the the thing about fetch quests is that if it turns into a fetch quest, then it's just a fetch quest. Mm -hmm. But the initial hook might look like it's just a fetch quest, but you always find a way to to turn that fetch quest into something more. Yeah. So it's it's like this false hook. We we thought we were going in to solve a simple problem and then now we have a moral dilemma of like oh there's two different factions and we got to figure out who we side with. It just starts out as a simple fetch quest, but because you're doing an overarching environment instead of an overarching plot, um, 
I think this will give us a chance with the different groups to kind of see those different factions. And we might, I'm hoping uh, that we'll have different parties be on different faction sides. Yeah, and that, that's kind of my intent. And it's a good, another good point is that factions, I think, are a great way to introduce verisimilitude into the world because, you know, in let, so in, in Ben Robbins' West Marches game, it was literally untrained territory. There was nothing there. It was, a, it was, it was, there was no, no one living there. It was completely new. It was a frontier. There was, there was nothing there. Like it was just, just things to explore and loot to find, right? Um, and monsters, of course. I don't find that particularly interesting. Um, and I find that if, I don't know their experience or their experience with it. They didn't really mention much about that bit, but I would imagine if you were in that situation, it would be hard to motivate your players to go out and do stuff. I think in maybe the old days of D and D where, you know, you got, you didn't have, um, experience points like you do now and you didn't have generally quests and whatnot. It was more like, you went out, slayed monsters, collected gold, and your gold, how much gold you had was how, how you leveled up. So you were, your goal was to find loot. Like, there were, quests were, like, irrelevant, really. It was, it was how much gold and treasure you could find was how quickly you gained experience. And that led to murder hob hobiness and all that jazz. But um, the point is, is that I feel like in today's gaming world, where that kind of play is not, common and probably not popular um i feel like if you were if your if your thing was just oh there's just dungeons everywhere and there's loot to find and that's it then you're gonna have a hard time motivating people to go out and explore right i mean um, it just it's gonna depend on the party if you if we got a bunch of i want to say you know we found the right demographic uh you know some 40 year old guys uh, they would probably lean into all of the races that they're playing and the classes that they're playing, and they would form, you know, some marching band to to take on all of the dungeons, and it would just be a hack and slash or yeah. a you know a dungeon delver or dungeon crawler. I mean, that, that's the, the, that's why the game isn't you know. Yeah, it's not I, all, I think you could have. So I don't want to sound like dungeon crawling and dungeon delving is not fun, right? And and those types of games I think totally work, but I think. You, players young and old you know of any age will have more fun in those kind of games if you introduce extra stuff to them beyond that like like that you don't have to have an overarching yeah. plot by any means but if you have like factions if you have npcs in the dungeons maybe that interact with um with their own agendas i think that anything like you throw in there like that can only add to the fun and increase motivation again this is purely speculation because I don't have anywhere near the sample set to make a definitive argument here, but um, I don't know. Do you feel like if I wouldn't have added factions and quests and whatnot, and I had just said, go out in the world and explore and kill stuff, would, would you have enjoyed shifting sands as much? Uh, yeah, me personally, probably. Um, <laughs> okay. I don't get to play enough. So um, I know there's, this thing going around about like you know no D and D is better than bad D and D. Um, I don't Fair. consider that bad D and D. Um, Pathfinder is still so new, you know, in its infancy of just like what two three years at the most, and I'm still there's still classes and ancestries that I haven't got to test out yet. 
And so um, I do a lot of shadow testing. Um, I noticed that it was recommended in some other uh, GM's advice. So I'm glad to hear that out there. But I'm usually using just your guys's, um, you know, players, your, mm -hmm. your guys's PCs against different monsters trying to figure out if the fight is worthwhile. But here, this gave me a chance to make a bunch of different characters and kind of, mm, I don't know, other GMs would probably feel this way. You've got all these ideas for characters and you kind of want to test them out. Mm -hmm. And even if we were just doing a hack and slash and I got to play, like, say, Sanra, um, just the, the depth and the development that I put into her was worthwhile to me because when I put her in another game, in another setting, it was more exciting. Yeah. Um, in like, and you did. You put her in Tiger I took... Rust, one of our M NPCs from from the game, and moved him into my Libra campaign with the permission of the player. And so, like, I got I get something out of it because I'm just playing the game, and I'm I'm wanting to play the game. So that kind of goes against what you were trying to solve, as far as like the um, I would I wouldn't say apathy. I would say it's more like. Um, atrophy of a game. Well, you know, again, this was, I wasn't trying to solve that. That was what Ben Robbins was trying to solve, right? Right. Like, look what what my searches stands for. Yeah. So I I think there is literally, and there's videos about this. You know, sometimes we just want to get together and throw some dice around. Mm -hmm. So now, would would I enjoy the adventure more when we have a bunch of really you know uh, wild characters who come to the game and we have you throwing down? bunch of different quests and factions i think it's going to completely enrich and enliven the game yeah so the difference would be that we would just be playing a board game versus we're playing an actual west marches if you had if you if you cut the quests and the factions from it yeah that makes sense um another thing that you kind of touched on there slightly like tangentially and i think is also an important um consideration to make when you're running a west marches game is that as I mentioned, not every character or player is going to be in the party every session, right? And I have some problems with that. There is there is an onus on everyone at the table to kind of there's like a there's an unspoken rule almost that by the end of the session you need to get back to a hub or a city or somewhere where you can have downtime because other that where other player characters are because if you have a mix of people now and character and character A is and character B are in this party right and they're out on mm -hmm. an adventure and then they finish the quest but maybe they don't get back to town right maybe they're still like hanging out in the dungeon now the player of character A wants to play character A again but now you have character C or player C, right? And they can't play character A because he's off He's off here doing something else. So now you kind of have this web of having to keep track of where all the characters are at any time, and that's kind of a pain in the butt, and it's kind of, I feel like it decreases the fun for the players when they can't play their character because they can't get the people who are playing that party together to play it. Um, so there's kind of like this goal, I guess. At the end of every session, you want to get to a civilized area where other characters might be hanging out so that next session, if that player wants to play that character again, 
and there's other characters that level who want to play, you could reasonably say, oh, these characters were all in this town or this whatever to begin with. And they just got together and went off on this thing, right? Um, hmm. It's difficult to do. It's, as a GM, it's really hard to um, plan a game that you know 100% is going to be complete in one session. And it's also, it's especially hard to do that when you don't know what the players are going to do until like a week before they do it. <laughs> so, you so you it's might like, not know what the players are going to do at all. Well, I mean, I like, mean, just like their general case. goal, even. Like, you don't even know what right. their overall game plan is. Like, not even to speak on how it actually turns out in practice. That's a whole other can of worms. Like, so it's it's kind of, it's a really tough thing to do as a GM. And I feel like if you're right. a new GM, you're going to especially struggle with it. So this is, this, there's a difficulty curve that mm -hmm. I don't think is mentioned about West Marches. So like, uh, me being on the player end, I didn't notice that you were having an issue with making sure everybody was kind of like in the same hub, but I totally can see how that's a problem. Um, we, I have another game that I'm in that Starfinder game where we're, uh, where I have a handful of characters and wherever the party is, I have a character there. Mm -hmm. So like, I can just jump into one of those characters and I haven't thought about like how other players might feel that like, Hey, I wanted to play this character, but instead they got to play what they maybe consider their, their backup character, or maybe they were hoping to play their, you know, backup character. It's the new one. And now they're stuck playing their older one. Yeah. I didn't see that as a, as an issue until now, like I'm getting a different perspective. So I like that. And, but, and um, also the issue that I was experiencing was that we're showing up to a table and I'm playing a support character and we have, a, an entire marauder force of martial classmen. Yeah, like I think the, um, the party dynamic is just with West March. You don't know what you're going to get, and I right. guess it's a and little I bit more realistic. That, you know, like, and when you have a lot more players and characters to pull from, and there's a lot of in, there's there's a lot of interest in playing a bunch of different things. You can kind of work together to say, hey. We want to tackle this content. We know it's we know from rumors it's about this difficulty, right? Um, and we have like I really want to play this character that's this level. Does anyone else have a character around this level that they want to play that kind of fits into a party that makes sense? But right now we still have so few people who like so few players that we don't have a very large pool to pick from. So we only have a handful of characters and some of the, you know, those characters are different levels and the levels, the characters of those levels we have to choose from are not very much. So we have the situation we're kind of stuck with what we've got. Um, and maybe there wasn't as much thought in the party dynamic that went into it when people were building characters. Cause I think people just want to try different things, which is fine. Um, but yeah, then you end up situations like you talk about where you've got like a party of five people and four of them are basically different kinds of fighters. Right. And mm -hmm. so it's, it's definitely interesting. I think the problem becomes less of an issue when you have a lot of people in the, in the I mean, server. That must be like more challenging for you as a GM of like what you can throw at us. It if definitely you're... is. If and, you're designing and, uh, like an encounter, say like you want to have an impressive wandering beast in a particular area that you want us to fight, and we show up with our social party who yeah. is, you know, ready to uh, talk our way out of a situation or a bunch of rogues who are all about utility, and then we come up to the situation where we're just going to get, you know, 
we're gonna get completely eaten and right. that's the rare situation you know because it's more likely going to be that you're going to want to throw any kind of puzzle trap or social encounter and we're just nothing but a martial group of, of fighters yeah i think uh to kind of go along with that too you how should i say this my mind just went blank hold on <laughs> um so oh my gosh my brain just went dead uh, you'll think of it eventually yeah, i think of it eventually um so with west marches you got to have a large pool of people to pull from but uh i've noticed that nobody wants to like push forward and set up when to play and if nobody says anything like i try to step back and, and see if like anybody wants to push forward and like yeah. set up a game and if I don't do anything, like, doesn't happen. Right. It's a, it, you need at least a few people who are going to take the initiative. Because I think if you have a lot of indecisive people or a lot of people who don't necessarily take initiative on things, like they're not initiative takers, they're not those kind of people, like, which is fine. Um, but you're going to find that you're not just not going to play, like hardly ever. So you need people who... And that's not to say they don't want to play, right? Like they they'd want to play, they just don't want to be the one to initiate everything and plan everything mm -hmm. and all that. Which a lot of people be, are like. It that. can be like you know just trying to be polite. Mm -hmm. You know, we have a lot of really nice people, and some people just don't want to be. You know, they don't want to ask. Uh, they're just not assertive. They they're just not assertive people, and that's you know that's fine. Um, but. Uh, so okay. I wish I could remember what I was going to say about before. It was such an important point, and I can't remember what it was. Um, so was there anything else uh, you found or you realized throughout your play? Well, if you were if you were to run a West Marches game, what would you do differently? Okay, so I'm really tempted to run a West March game after watching you run one and just seeing how you know like much fun it is. Um, if I'm going to run a West March game, I'm going to probably start fresh with a lot more people. Mm -hmm. I'm, so I'm going to wait until I can get together that many people. I don't think I'm going to want to go in in it with um, with a small group. Yeah. And I would probably put all my other games on hiatus if I was going to run West March. I just don't think that um, like you can give the adequate amount of time to your West March game if you're running other stuff on the side. And so like as much as I'm tempted to run a West March, I love doing one shots and I love picking up, you know, different um, you know, tabletops to choose from. Uh so I've got like I've got ADHD when it comes to to sticking with one, you know, setting. We recently ran um you know, Call of Cthulhu, we recently mm -hmm. ran Starfinder. We're we're going to be bringing up another Fate coming up soon so we can dip our toes in all those different things. If I'm going to run a West March, I'm probably going to have to make sure that I'm focusing like exclusively on the West March. Like, yeah, it's definitely a lot more work than I expected. And I actually remember what the thing I was going to say was. So I'm going to kind of jump back to that real quick before no, we go I'm forward. This <laughs> um, so what I was going to say is that when I started out with the West March's game, I really wanted this the sense of no matter where you went, you didn't necessarily know how strong the thing or things you find there were going to be. So there was, there was, I, I came out of the gate and said, there's a high chance you might die. 
there is a uh you probably want to run from a lot of things and i think this works well or would work well if we had a large group of people with varying character levels very but the way it is right now we basically have two or three different groups of characters and players that you know play in some order right or some like one group might play now one another group might play later but it's usually the same players and characters changed up in different subsets um and they're all roughly the same level there's like there's like there's a bunch of them that are like level one to two and there's a bunch of level like two to three so they're all they all can intermingle pretty easily um but that means that it's hard for harder for me to have these higher level monsters or lower level monsters that you guys might find um because there's not higher level players or well there are lower level players but they're not higher level players to take out those higher level monsters or to hear rumors about those higher level monsters so it's kind of like what do we do you know what i mean so i've kind of and then recently i've kind of tailored things more towards what you guys your levels were but i think once we get more people that's probably going to change um and and I think that's the way it probably should be. Mm -hmm. And it goes back to your point about it's probably better to wait till you have a large group of people before you get started. Because I feel like the game will just play more smoothly if you have a larger pool of players. I'm, I'm really looking forward to being there, some intermixing of the groups. Mm -hmm. um, but so you had asked me the things that I would do differently. And I think this might be a hot take. Um, okay, so I am I'm not ever trying to just you know, to take a dump on 5e, but I personally feel after playing 5e for quite a bit that mi mixed level characters at the tabletop is just a terrible idea in 5e. Uh, people will feel widely inadequate at the game because the way that the game scales via level with your abilities, the game is very ability scale heavy. Uh, the numbers don't change a whole lot, right? And you don't see these like really large numbers in, in 5e. Would you say that? Correct. Yeah. It, in, in Pathfinder, it's a it's much more balanced. Like Pathfinder 2e and Fourth Edition, they're way more balanced and they're much more designed to handle um, the encounters past you know level 10, and it's very well balanced all the way to level 20. Having mixed players at level um, in Pathfinder 2e, I find that, and I'm sure you've noticed this. How would you say like the followers and the NPCs in um in like say like a game of Tagasia? How do they perform in the game? I think the casters perform better than the marshals just because the marshals' HP and AC are so much lower than mm -hmm. the characters. Uh, so if they're up in the front lines, then they're more likely to die. But I think the casters and the range attackers do all right. Um, okay. So the support handles the support job because it's not based off of any reflection of numbers. I think the support shine yeah. regardless. Yeah. Okay. Um, so when you have a mixed bag of characters, if the tank is underleveled uh, or the DPS is underleveled, I feel like the encounter can shift really quickly. Yeah. Well, so, yeah. Um, if you have like one peaky roll, right? If you have one roll that is just like really high then if you have a really low tank for instance then they're just going to decimate them um, right so i was comparing all these different additions and i was kind of like leading you on is that if i was going to run a west march i would run it in 3.5 or pathfinder first edition 
is I feel that that game, while it does break down in balance after like the first 10 levels, within those first 10 levels, if you have a wide range of party members, I feel like it actually scales a bit better between different players. And this is just my personal opinion from running... Yeah, um, I mean, I, I haven't like played really any 3.5 or Pathfinder 1E, so I can't really speak to that, but it's an interesting take. Um, I think in order to solve the problem with like Pathfinder 2E or 5E even really, I would say that as a GM, I just wouldn't let parties consist of characters that are more than like one, maybe two levels or, you know, different from each other. Cause like you said, it's just, it's just not going to, it's not going to work. Um, mm -hmm. It's going to. I noticed like playing my sad character who was a tank, mm -hmm. my chance to get hit because my AC was, was one or two levels below in increased my chance of taking damage increased five to 10%. Yeah. And my chance of dishing out damage as a fighter was reduced mm -hmm. when I was level one versus the party being level two. My chance of hitting was reduced by five to ten percent. Yeah, I think and I think especially at low levels, especially at low levels, it's tough because you already have a you know limited resources to work with. Um, and this mm -hmm. again goes back to your thing where if you wait to start until you have a lot more people, this theoretically would become less of a problem because you'd have more characters at different levels you could play with. Um, but if you have a smaller number of people, you have a smaller number of characters, and those characters' levels are going to be much narrower. So what do you do, right? One thing we've tried uh, and I think worked well is, like, instead of starting characters at level 1, we started them at level 2 a couple times. Um, I mm -hmm. also did the free archetype variant, which increases the power level of the characters a bit, um, depending on, you know, depending on which archetype they take. Um, I think there's things you can do, but I don't think it solves the problem you're 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 talking about. And I think it is a problem. Um, and then the other the other side to like how how to run a West March game, it was very uh, gear gold magic item oriented. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like for a West March game, there needs to be so much more of that. To yeah. so if I was going to design a West March game, I would probably start. Um, bare minimum, I would start with the loot tables. Personally, it's one of my favorite thing is designing the loot tables um, because you know, like as you've seen in some of my other games, I start off designing the loot tables for the different areas, mm -hmm. and designing those helps me flesh them out. Yep. I like to make like um, like prominent characters from the area and like what kind of loot they would have had, whether it represents just the terrain or represents the deity or somebody in a political or yeah. uh, religious power and to make a, a game run smoothly like that in west marches i feel like there needs to be like hella loot like there needs to be the, the, the players need to make a choice you know of like we can't carry all this loot out we got to prioritize what we're carrying yeah to incentivize maybe returning to the same locations um or to make the players start thinking about like investing and having hirelings um, and I'm not sure if they talked about this in which marches, but I know that like before with the younger editions was that like keeping your hirelings alive and convincing them to stand outside a dungeon and like, you know, protect the, uh, yeah. the cattle and the wagons basically was like another resource management that had to happen. You also had hirelings you paid specifically to carry, carry torches and things like that. Like you, yeah. Hireling management was a, a big deal. You had multiple hirelings. You didn't just have like one or two. Yeah. Um, and you know, what you mentioned is actually something I'm still kind of struggling with and learning as I go. I do have loot tables now. However, the thing I'm struggling with 
uh, is that um, you can't throw too much loot at a low-level party too quickly, or they oh, no. or it completely yeah. breaks the math of the game. So it's it's interesting to find enough different kinds of loot that are still interesting but not too overpowered that you could throw a bunch of them at them at once. You know what I mean? Because one thing I noticed about Pathfinder 2e specifically is in any of the books that I've that I've had so far, there's not a single mention of treasure hordes. All there's 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 treasure by level, which is how much like value worth of treasure each level of character, each party level should have. But there's no mention of like how big should a treasure hoard be, right? You kind of have to do that math yourself, and it's not really trivial to do, um, especially totally if you have a non-standard totally party. Yeah, and so I, I really struggle as a game master, and this is West Marches or otherwise, like this is completely just, just in general, I struggle with how much loot to give a party in any one encounter, especially huge, large encounters or dungeons or things like that. Um, yeah. Because you don't want to just throw a bunch of short swords at them, right? I mean, or a bunch of mundane crap, but you also can't throw a bunch of super magic items at them. You can't, I mean, you guess you could throw a bunch of runes, like level appropriate rune stones at them. Property runes are another thing you could probably throw that's at my, them. That's my, you know, my my issue with uh, with Pathfinder 2nd uh, Edition was that I feel like the runes were too amazing and it took away from the magic loot section. Um, so, so if you remember like how I ran Tagasia, I had a bunch of useless uh, which you called useless, and I'm sure another player that we had um, who critiqued really heavily that like the gear that I was throwing out was, you know, I don't uh, think I ever used the, the word useless, but the bonuses were so <laughs> were so niche and arbitrary, mm -hmm. but they were level appropriate. Yeah, and I feel like we should probably talk about how to design some some lower level loot well, I'll because do I think it Pathfinder I it out. <laughs> exactly. What was that? So we can do that once I figure it out because I'm still kind of figuring out what I think I, is best. I haven't I have I'm... learned a lot. I have learned a lot from making um bad gear by making gear that was either not appropriate for the level, like, you know, overpowered mm -hmm. and making gear that was underleveled. So was, I actually uh, kind of like the way Paizo did the rune system to let you really customize weapons however you want however i think that they've been i think that there's a, a lack of options at different levels mm -hmm. like especially at lower levels like the property runes are really cool um but i feel like there's not that many per, like per level especially at lower levels and i feel no, like there's not a diversity and there's Absolutely. the ones that they do have are most of them are not very useful or or very very niche so it's like there's not a whole, unless you're in a very specific situation and you know in advance you're going to be in that situation, have time to prepare a rune for it, then it's like, it's not very likely that you're ever going to use these things. So I think that with these like splat books that Paizo continues to come out with, I think there should be an emphasis on releasing new kinds of property runes. And I think that as game masters, there's a lot of room for homebrew in this area. Mm -hmm. um, because I agree that, you know, the system itself on paper is really cool, but in practice, there's really not a whole lot you can do with them that, that actually makes sense. Um, and at lower levels, most of them are not worth it anyway. So it's like what you do, right? But, um, 
see what else is there I'm trying to think if there's any other topic I'm, I've actually exhausted all the topics I wanted to cover um did you have okay. anything so yeah absolutely um so I'm you know really tempted to run a West March but I want to make sure that I can give it like the attention that it deserves so like what did you do to get you know all these people into your game because I think everybody from you know listening well, in on game master you could probably benefit from that so like anything in life networking is one of the most important th skills and the important traits you can have as a person whether it's your job your personal life whatever um so i think just knowing people is important to get started um i know that you've been incre incredibly helpful with going on to like various discords and whatnot and finding people um that might be interested we have a lot of we actually have a lot of people in the discord but not a whole lot of them are active in the discord so there's a lot of people who are interested but don't necessarily uh partake in the activities so i think that you kind of got a plan for you know if you invite 100 people or, or rather 100 people join maybe 20 of them or 15 of them or some you know some low number will actually be participating members of the community and i think that's true for any any discord community right not just west march's discord um so it's really a numbers game i think and the more people you know the more people you can convince i think that picking a pathfinder 2e as our system probably handicapped us a bit as well because it's not as popular of a system as like dnd 5e um, i know there's a lot of really popular dnd 5e west marches discords out there I don't really know of any popular Pathfinder tweet. I think there's I actually yeah. I think there's I've, one I've one I saw on Reddit that was kind of booming, which is kind of cool. Good good for them. Um, and uh, I noticed that like Reddit on Pathfinder Pathfinder Two E um, does not want you posting about like West March yeah. and like recruiting people for West March games. It's like ex exclusively in their rules. Yeah. So I think that it takes a lot of effort to go out and find people, and a lot of nagging and just you know, stand up to stand up with people and say, hey, you sure you don't want to try this? Like, it's a new system. It's kind of cool. You've played 5e, you like 5e. It's kind of similar to 5e. Um, you might like it better. Um, I think that that's another issue that we have is, is that getting people to try new systems these days is tougher than I feel like it should be. Um, would you would you say that it would be easier if we were running at a game shop or like a, a brewery? I think it would be easier to get people to try it. Yeah, because I think there's that spur of the moment, like impulsive impulsivity thing that you get at like somewhere like that. Whereas it, here, you have to get someone to join the Discord. You have to get them to sign it or make an account on Foundry. Then you have to get them, you know, work with them to make a character. Like if you're all just at a social gathering, like you're at a brewery or a game shop, and there's people just walking by and they've got free time, and they see you playing, they can just you can say, hey, you want to join us? Sit down, make a character sheet. Like that's it, and then then you can get them in Discord afterward, right? You, once they're hooked, then you can get them. See, P. Razzo says Reddit keeps recruitment posts to a single day, Mondays, I think. Yeah, I think they do have like a Monday post that you just people just up every week. We should maybe look into doing that. Um, um, yes, but I don't think that they allow West March. But you'll have to double check. I remember reading that it's there was like a a thing on there that had mentioned like no requests for people joining your discord and no requests for west march it was like in their rules exclusively yeah i'll have to look into it but i think there's definitely things we could do i know that i have been kind of slacking in this department after i got like after i got like the initial people to join 
from like my work and whatnot. Um, I kind of haven't been doing much recruitment. Um, that's just because I've been extremely busy with a lot of stuff going on. Um, but I need to, I need to improve that. But I think to answer your question, it's just really going to take a lot of effort and a lot of connections to get started. And I think hopefully once you get some people going, they can start to snowball that and get their own friends to join that maybe are outside of your referrals. Circle. Yeah. I would, I'm always looking for referrals. We just recently had a player that, uh, you know, we met at the game shop who uh, just referred somebody. We haven't gotten them into any of the games yet, but uh, did you yeah. get them into Shifting Sands yet? Which player is this? Um, oh, I'll, I'll jam you about it later. Um, I'm not. I'm not sure. We've had a few new people join Shifting Sands, um, so maybe. Nice. Appreciate the uh, the feedback, Terrazzo. Uh, because that's uh yeah it's good to know we'll have to do that maybe that'll be that's a good community to engage i think um so we'll look into that thank you so like if i was going to run a west march i think that that's probably um instead of doing it online i feel like i could probably have a better time if i had a game shop like um like the ones that like we met up at mm. or a sitting in a pub tavern where i was sitting there every week and it was whoever shows up we you know yeah. if they play but that's totally. anasynchronous to West Marches in general, right? Because like the whole point of it is that um, the players drive when the day happens. Yeah, it, it is. Running, uh, but I think you can get the feel, of the, the feel of the game, right, by doing that. Um, and if your goal isn't to solve the apathy thing, then that's a perfectly viable way of doing it, I think. Um, if your goal is just to get a lot of people playing, uh, and, and like I said, once you, once you engage them at like a, at a social event or at the game store or whatever, and get them playing, and if they enjoy it, they're more likely to join the discord and go through the steps to involve into getting a more, become a more regular player. Right. But you have to get them hooked somehow. And I think that it's a lot harder to do when a, you know, they've never played the system before and B just all mm -hmm. like getting set up in an online game is just a lot of work you got to join join the discord like i said you got to join the foundry or roll 20 server or whatever you know you got to figure if you haven't used that that software before you got to figure out how to create a character in it it's like it's a lot of work for somebody to set up and if they aren't sure they're going to stick with it then it might be a deterrent right I so mean, i absolutely agree roll 20 was was very um intimidating for yeah. me when i first set up I, I had you kind of like explain to me how most of it works and then still going into foundry i was just like that's it's a bit too much for you know like a basically a boomer like me to uh figure out how to how to program so i, I understand like like where that's where that's coming from so maybe would you say west marches would be better played in person I or do you that... think that now that you're doing it online you think it's it's doable i think it's doable online I think that if you have enough connections in person to do it in person, I think that it would play better in person just because the, the barrier to entry is lower. The, um, I feel like it's easier to get people together, uh, in person. If you, if you know each other already, um, I think it, West marches plays great with a group, a large group of friends, um, like 10 to 14 people. Like you mentioned, who, who are you, Jesus? <laughs> um, I mean, who in our adult life has uh, ten to, right. to thirteen like well, close friends? You know, 10 to 14 I'm, I'm more friends of like a four to five close right. friend. 
So I think your strategy of going to a game store and recruiting people is not a bad one because you can kind of build that that core group. Um, and I call I think, it scalping. Like the, I feel sorry for for the game store because I totally scalped so many players. Yeah. I was just like, okay, after playing all these different games, like you're cool, you're cool. Here's some invites. I also just prefer playing in person. I feel like there's so much more engagement when you play in person because everyone's right there with you and you can kind of, if so, you can kind of read them easier. You can um, keep them engaged at the table easier. There is more table banter, right? But you feel like you can deal with that a little easier um, if you're in person. And I don't know, the tactile tactile character sheets and the the actual physical dice. I don't know, man. It just feels so good. Um, But I'm old school like that. I know I'm probably the minority in that in that camp. Right. um, I I don't want to get I don't want to get blasted again for having digital dice. Um, but yeah, I mean, other than, other than finding people, I think the other big thing that's challenging is just building enough content. I think a lot of people in the the discussion I was having in the work slack was around somebody wanting to, um, not build a lot of wanting to do West marches because they didn't want to build content up front. They wanted to discover content as you play. And I was saying that you will discover content as you play, but you need to do a lot of work up front. Because if you that don't have sound... stuff for, if you don't have stuff for the players to do, then they're never going to do anything to discover content. I, I so want to disagree with that uh, on upfront as a representative of sandboxes because West March is a type of sandbox, right? And fundamental. It, it's what it was originally designed. A, yes. Say again. It was originally designed for a sandbox play. Yes. Right. So I mean, it's a it's a subgenre of of those mm-hmm. sandboxes, and I absolutely love the sandbox. And so, I mean, we've talked about like how to get a, a sandbox talk uh, set up in our last video, right? Yeah. But the upfront work was just make a, a, a you know, for World 20 or Foundry, you need to draw out one map for the town. You need to draw out some, you know, paths that lead out to at the most three objectives. At the most. That is all you really have to craft. And so, well, I don't think that necessarily... sandbox has. I don't know if that's necessarily the case for West Marches because you want to give the players enough different things to do out of the gate. So even if you're mm. only building one map, right, you still need to have, at least at a high level, ideas of what is at different places on the map so they can point to that and say, I want to go there and do this, right? Because you're not going to have that initial, you're not going to have like an overarching plot that kind of guide people to different towns and stuff like that. Um, or even if it's a sandbox game, you're not going to have, um, like when you design your sandbox game, you design at a high level, a bunch of different towns, but you only built the map for the one we were in at the start, right. right? But you still knew what was out there, right? You still knew if we happened to randomly jump off in this direction, you still knew roughly what was over in that direction, right? I'm not saying I, you need to build maps for every single thing. The way that the fog of war works is that you always have just one thing planned off in the distance but it can be rough it can just be a circle with a name on it you know i can say that what's well it's over there and i'll just be like checks notes it's a mountain and its name is this it's not designed yet the paths leading up to it aren't designed what's on that mountain the ecosystem i haven't designed any of that because it's like i consider it rendering like when you're off in the distance everything is uh you know super vague Mm -hmm. and and not specific 
and I don't want to design a bunch of specific things and the players not be interested True. in it. Yep. Maybe because you know I don't want to be hurt as a GM personally, but really it's that I want but to be you, efficient you with my time. Need, so like they look around, enough. they say, I see a mountain, I see a tower, I see a forest, I see a sea, and the party might be like, well, we're pirates, and they go towards the sea, and I'm like, well, good. Now I know yeah. what you know what direction to build when with the party. So sure, but even I think starting out, advice, even starting mm -hmm. out, you still need enough things that the players can point to and say, I want to do that. Because the thing about West Marches is, is mm -hmm. they're not deciding what they're going to do during play. They're deciding what they're going to do outside of play. And then during play, they do it, right? So you're not going to be like in a town discussing, oh, we need to do this, we need to do this, we need to do this. Or, oh, there's this, there's this NPC over here. Let's go talk to them and see what they have for us. It's less like discovering... Um, quests via NPCs and more like there's a thing we know on the map over here. I don't know exactly what's there, but I've heard rumors or something. So let's go investigate. Um, and at that point you can flesh out what that thing is and like really, you know, build the maps for it and all that. You don't need to do that till they decide to go there, but you need to at least know enough there to proceed the rumors to say something is there. Um, okay, and I but think that's you, where... you don't need to design that ahead of time, right? No, like, but you need to just, you need to have need to, you need to have that. a map of your general surroundings, and say, X is here, Agreed. Y is here, Z is here. I don't know what that entails. Like, I don't know that there's what I don't know what the dungeon looks like, whether it's a dungeon or not. And and again, we'll do a I'll do a stream or a video at some point of me going over how I prep for all this. Um, in fact, let me just bring it up. Let me just bring something up real quick. So, like, while you're bringing that up, when I was designing Libra, which is another sandbox, I kind of drew a circle in the center, and I said, that's the big, bad whirlpool. Nobody goes there. Mm -hmm. And I made a ring, and I said, okay, what, what's a good amount of islands to have for a starting zones? And I made seven starting zones. That is probably way too much for a normal sandbox. But for a West March, that might be probably just the right amount, right? Yeah. Okay. Of course, so, my... Uh... Of course, my window is like my the, the the bit of text I have is just um behind just my behind camera. The camera. <laughs> just like grab it and and drag it down. Yeah, it's also what the oops, that's the wrong thing. As far as like having initial stuff for them, though. I actually had the party kind of roll randomly to determine like what island they were going to start on. Um, so it's asynchronetic with, with West March, but if the party had said, okay, these are the seven uh, islands that we can choose from going on, they could just point to any of those. You don't even have to really have, you know, anything really fleshed out except for like, what are each of these towns like? Right. So this is kind of, I, I took this, I wish I could remember the YouTuber's name off the top of my head, but this is an idea I took from a YouTuber when he was building his um, West Marches game. And this is kind of like a template that he built out. And I thought it worked really well. And he, he just generated a hex map with seven hexes, um, created a city in the center hex, and then he selected select five hexes to contain resources, generate four towns, select five hexes to contain ruins, generate two to, three, two to four layers, which are like big BEGs, and... You know, I basically just went through and just said, 
came up with ideas for all this stuff. And there's like a roll, there's roll tables for some of it that you can do if you don't want to. Um, but it's like, not like I designed specifically what's there, but I at least sat down and said, Hey, you know, this is, these are the general things in this immediate surrounding and what hexes they lie on. Um, and what, you know, for like the cities, there's the activity they're going through, the obstacles they're going through, how prominent the obstacles are, what the resources are, what the obstacle, the resources are, things like that. And then that will kind of give you, um, a kind of creative jumping off point for when you actually, when they say, oh, I want to go here, you're like, okay, I know here is a dungeon, right? I know roughly that it's, um, you know, it's suffering from this problem or whatever, or it's, it's from this time or it's this type of person owns it. That'll give me the creative juices flowing to be like, okay, so what is in that dungeon then? Okay, well, this is, you know, but I don't do all that until they decide to go there. And that's why I ask players to give me a week in between, you know, before we start playing that can prep things out. Um, hmm. But there's still, while it's not a lot of work, it's still work you have to do up front, right? You have to have something for the players to point to, even if it's just very high level and like, like you don't, you probably, like you said, you don't want to have the entire thing planned out because you don't know what they're going to go visit and what they're not, right? But you want to at least have enough information for them to know what they want to visit. Because um, another, another point that Ben Robbins makes in his blog post is that he specifically didn't want people, the game to be played in town because he, he said that nothing, nothing interesting happens in town. In his game, Every, I disagree. Not, not not in general. He's saying in a West Marches in his West Marches game, his goal was that nothing interesting happened in town. All the stuff that was interesting happened. He wanted to happen out of town. Like his idea was a frontier world. There was, you know, completely new stuff to discover. Things no one has touched these areas before, um, or at least not in completely ancient times. Um. So his, he did not want people playing in town. So he specifically made it so that all the cool stuff was outside of town to, to kind of force players out of the town. So if you do that, then if you, if that is one of your goals, which maybe it's not for you, that's perfectly fine. But if that's one of your goals, then you actually don't want, um, you don't want your player, how should I say this? You don't want to have to design quests in town. You want to design things out of town. So maybe your quest starters are like a quest board in town. That's fine. But they shouldn't have to go like talk to an NPC to find it, right? They should have to mm -hmm. just start the quest. They know what the quest is before you start play. And as soon as you start play, you immediately go off in that direction of that quest. Now, you don't need to do it like that. You could very much do it in a way which is a more typical sandbox where, like you described, you have a bunch of quest givers in town. The players, you know go around town finding these quests. I feel like in a game that's built around one-shots, that's probably not the best idea because it really ends up with a lot of people... or It ends up with the potential for a lot of sessions to just be spent in town. And I think when you have a one-shot, you need more action than that. I think if your entire... If you have a one-shot that you don't know when the next time you're going to play is and your one session is spent entirely in town, 
in a, in a game like West March's game, it's probably not a very doesn't probably doesn't feel very good as a player. Yeah, I can see that. That'd be problematic for, you know, uh, getting people to want to come back. Yeah. Um, I d- I tend so to take a hybrid it's... approach. I definitely do stuff in town, but it's more like they don't explore the town. They know what they need to do in the town. You know what I mean? Like maybe they haven't. They like for instance the Jedon, the Magic City, right? You uh you guys went there because you knew there was a uh you had found a a, a a cursed amulet in one of the ruins, and you had found out through an NP, an NPC person in the game that the ruin the the amulet was cursed and what the curse generally was, and they said you have to take it to the magic city here to investigate it further and figure out what you can do about it. So you knew you were going to Jeddin, which is a town, but you knew exactly where you were going in Jeddin, um, minus the pit stop to pick up Saz because it was a new character being introduced. But um, So you went directly to the magic place. You didn't spend a lot of time exploring the town. You know what I mean? Like You went to the specific place in the town. You, you got the information you needed. You left town again, went to the, the Divinity Stone Caverns, did your thing there, went back to the Magic Academy, dealt with the amulet, left back, went back to the, uh, the hub city of Almeridia, and you were done, right? So you know what Jedin is, you know what's there, but you weren't going off searching for quests in Jedin. You just knew that your quest involved going to Jedin and doing things there. So I think there's definitely room for having, and that's why I built towns in my game, right? Because I wanted places where people gather, not just the hub city. Whereas in Ben Robbins' game, the literally the only city was the hub town that you started in. Like, there was no other. Everything else was just wilderness. And I mm-hmm. don't know if that's necessarily the, the way I would, would want to run a West March's game. I mean, I, I noticed that you're currently not doing a whole lot of hex crawling. Correct. Uh, because we move through these different hexes, and it's pretty... Um, I feel like from like some of the other stuff that I've watched and like how people run hex crawls is usually like each hex is like an entire day and is usually you know filled with something to, that can happen to them. Right. Instead, so, we're kind of just like we're just ticking them off on a counter and saying like each hex is just a day and we're just moving through it. So the way I do I do I do my exploration or my travel, I guess, is that each hex on the on the hex map is a day's worth of time, but Every time you, for every hex you pass through, I roll a dice, and if it's less than or five, it's a, if it's five or less, there's a random encounter there. If it's greater than five, then nothing happens. Um, and that random encounter could be an environmental disaster, like like a sandstorm. It could be a uh, a social encounter, like like a caravan or traveling merchant. It could be a um, or like a combat encounter with like monsters uh, it could be a number of things right um so far you guys have been pretty lucky with those rolls and you typically get about one zero to one per travel attempt you go through um mm-hmm. and sometimes i will skip rolling or something if, if i know we're like running kind of long on time and uh you know you have i want to get you guys back to a city by the end of the session I might skip rolling for a couple of his te- hexes or something, you know, and just say nothing happens. Or sometimes, like when you guys encountered Sarah, I might have a, 
predefined event that I know is going to happen at some point in the session. And I'll use one of those encounters as a way to do that. But, um, yeah, the fact you guys haven't found much in the hexes is mostly luck <laughs> or, or lack thereof, I guess. Um, but I think it's actually worked out because except for like one, maybe two times, um, you guys have ended a session like right on the dot. Like right when you got back to town, we, we, we were, we were like at the four hour mark of a session. It was kind of, it kind of timed itself pretty well, I think. Um, P. Razzo said hex exploration. Yep. That's what they call it. Right. But I, I admit I'm, I'm still kind of a newbie to hex exploration, so I don't know what the, uh, I think we should probably brush it up on our hex exploration. Um, yeah. And I, because I felt that like that's kind of like what makes a West March a West March from from what I have from my old experience. Um, yeah, so. I could t I could totally look more into that if that's, if that's the way you guys feel. And again, uh, I know I know P Razzo's in the Shifting Sands game, so you know if you if you have anything, if you need suggestions for me as a GM of of a uh, West March's game, anything uh, you you know you like about it, anything you think could be improved definitely let me know um because as i mentioned at the beginning of this this uh stream when you weren't here yet um this is my first time doing this i've never played in one i've never jammed one it was kind of it's kind of like an experiment for me so i'm kind of changing things up and learning as i go i love feedback and opinions and what's more is i'd love more people to join so if you mm -hmm. want to join us in shifting sands and kind of try out west marches and you know, see what it's all about, then definitely hit us up in the Art of oh, Game yeah. Mastery Discord. We'll put it in the comments below. Um, there will be a separate Discord specifically for Shifting Sands that we'll get you into. Not everyone in the Art of Game Mastery Discord is interested in it, so we, we separate it out for convenience. Um, but we'll get you in there. Uh, we love having new people. We are kind of on a bit of a hiatus for the holidays, but I think our, we, we're planning to have our next game. When did we say? The 17th? Or was that the fake game? I don't remember. Um, let's see. We scheduled. Um, we our fate game is due to to start again on the fourteenth. Okay. Of did, January. We, did we say anything so about shifting to, sands? Or I don't remember. We need to hit that. Um, I don't know if we hit hit up one for shifting sands, but we're trying to. Yeah, it'll be after the holidays though. Um, I'll be traveling until the new year, so um, there will be no stream next week. Uh, we apologize again for not having the streams the last couple weeks either. We, like I said, we've both been incredibly busy. Um, crunch time. Holidays, crunch time at work, etc. So um, hopefully get back at, right at it, you know, with fresh start after the holidays. And yeah, don't forget to hit us up on Instagram, Twitter, uh, Reddit, and join our Discord. All those links will be in the description uh, in, the, in the video. In fact, since this is now streaming on YouTube, that should already be there. So you should mm -hmm. just click it right now, click that join button. We'd love to have you. While we're at it, hit that subscribe button. That really helps us. We love to get subscribers. We can get our, our videos out in the forefront of the YouTube algorithm and get more people watching, more people joining, more people engaging. Comment down below what you thought of this video, what you'd like us to change, what you think of the West Marches. Um, the more engagement we get from our audience, the better it is for everyone. So yeah, dive in there. Good, bad, ugly, doesn't matter. So I'll probably stream, um, just some gaming on the 26th on QT and 
for QD20. And then um, let's see here. Since I won't be celebrating, um, yeah, there was actually one more thing I wanted to cover, but but it sounds like you're ready to wrap up, John. I don't know if we have more time to cover it. All right, go ahead, shoot, shoot it. Um, but I think that was a, a good, you know, like and subscribe, uh, you know, segue, segue right there. <laughs> <laughs> Get more people in the Discord. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Um, so I noticed that uh, you reskinned a dungeon recently, and that was one of my like favorite things about running a um, a West March. Is like so the different groups are going to go through and they might come back and see a dungeon and you you talked on it earlier in the chat but i don't think we had enough time to like kind of flesh out like what we were talking about and so i just wanted to to briefly excavate that um when you designed a dungeon or when you designed that dungeon did you design it with the intent that it was going to be re-explored at a future time um i designed the entire game around the idea that it's going to be living and evolving and breathing. So any decision I make on something has to be one that I'm okay with A, living forever, B, knowing what happens if it does live forever, and C, what happens if it doesn't live forever. So like okay. if I, when I design a dungeon, I, I place monsters there. I try to make place monsters that make sense there and come up with a reason why they're there. Um, and that's why factions kind of come in handy because they give, they give you a lot of, uh, excuses to have things in places but um the for instance the crete dungeon this is the one where you guys re-explored and it was you got took out the crete you went and visited the crete nest and dealt with all that stuff um but then you came back and some uh and when i when i knew i needed to redo that dungeon i'm like okay the crete are dealt with here uh at least for now who else would reasonably pick up in this dungeon? Like, what, what would this dungeon serve for people? And who who would that be? And why would they be here? Um, and I'm like, well, there's a lot of leftover weapons and stuff here. Like, just old, normal, mundane weapons. Um, there's there's a dining, there's a food hall here, right? There's places to cook food. There's a lot of leftover food from ancient times. A lot of it is spoiled, obviously, but some of it is, lasts forever, basically. Um, like smoked stuff or whatever. It's, it may not last forever, but it'll last long enough to... It'll be edible, at least. Um, and then... Let's see what else. So yeah, then I'm like, well, who? what other factions are here? What? Why would they... like? Well, I know there's there's a reb rebellion brewing, right? And I know that there these people are going to need arms, and they're going to need armor, and they're going to need strongholds that are probably close to the city that people probably wouldn't expect to look in. So this would be a perfect place that is relatively close to Almeridia for these people to hole up in and plan their schemes, right? Um, so that's like, okay, well, if those guys are going to settle down here, you know, what what would they be doing in this area, right? So I like mm -hmm. one of the rooms where there was a dining hall. I'm like, well, it's reasonable that there'd be some people eating, so they'd be in the dining hall. It's reasonable that the trap they would that you guys set off before they would have noticed it when they were exploring the place. And they probably would have figured out how to reset it. So they reset the trap. And it's uh, there's an armory there. So there's probably going to be some kind of quartermaster there. So I put a quartermaster in the armory, kind of like checking over things. Um, and I'm trying to think what else what else I did there. Oh, and I had the so sleeping chamber. Your, so. your planning system was 
was reactive to yes. after people had already gone through it, you went back and looked over the dungeon and made updates to it. Right. But when that? I when I do these things, I try I make it a because I know this can happen. I try making it a point not to you know design myself in a corner. So I try to mm -hmm. leave things open, no matter what the outcome of this dungeon is, that something else could be in there. Um, and I try to think, okay, well, if they don't explore this, what happens in, you know, 10 weeks time, if nobody explores this place, you know, like what, how's that going to change the dungeon? How is that going to change the world outside of the dungeon, if at all, like things like that. So there's all this stuff you have to consider when you're designing these spaces. Your goal is to make it a living, breathing world, or at least that's your ideal goal. Um, so yeah, I mean, did you feel like that made you that, that that when you design a dungeon with the intent that it's going to be lived in by you know different uh, factions? Do you feel like that made more work for the dungeon? Oh yeah, totally. It's a, it, you have to be a lot more careful with your decisions, and um, you need to. I mean, we already talked about this a bit in previous videos, but when you're playing online, especially maps are incredibly important. So you need these detailed maps. And when you have to um, consider all this extra stuff, when you're building the maps, it takes a lot more you know, carefulness as well, which makes building the maps take a lot longer than it normally would. Um, you have to think like, okay, you know, this dungeon is basically a collection of rooms, but you have to think about what the dungeon actually was in the context of your world. And... It's, it's a lot more important for the dungeon to make sense, both architecturally and layout-wise, you know, like, because there's going to be things in this dungeon that are not just monsters, necessarily, right? And there are not just, uh, not just cannon fodder for players to kill, there's going to be actual, this dungeon has a, has a history, has, has a purpose, and has, is going to have a purpose going forward as well. So you need to think about, okay, what are the things I'm going to need in the future once players start exploring these things, and how do I make these dungeons satisf satisfy those needs? So they have to not only be historic and satisfy, make sense in the world that was, they have to make sense for the world going forward and how you might want to fill those dungeons out in the future with new threats, right? So I'm kind of working out a theory about how to run a West March. So maybe you can give advice on my idea for running sure. a dungeon. So. Uh, when I design a dungeon, I usually, as I've said before, I think about how would the rogue approach the dungeon, how would the fighter approach the dungeon, how would the mage approach the dungeon, mm -hmm. you know, like, try to think about our plan for, is there a back door, you know, what happens if you brute force this dungeon, or is there some kind of utility that allows you to circumvent either the traps, puzzles, or mm -hmm. the encounters, right? So usually when I design a dungeon, I think of different ways to solve it. Do you think that that would work in a scenario of me doing West March of just, like, uh, designing I think the dungeon. That, I think with that's like... a good approach. Uh, I think that you need to consider more than that, though. Um, you should definitely consider, you know, what, uh, what the different, how the different things in your dungeon can be tackled from different perspectives. I think mm -hmm. that's definitely important. Um, like, if you put a trap in there, like, what happens if they disarm the trap? Is that okay? I, I think usually, sure, it's fine. Um, if they break down a door, is that okay? Like, is that going to blow your plans out of the water? Well, depending on how you design the dungeon, maybe it will, maybe it won't, right? Um, so I think those are definitely good things to consider, but I think you also need to consider more than that. You need to consider, like, 
how does the dungeon fit into the world, which I think you already do, but also how is it going to... Because dungeons are typically not very changeable. You know what I mean? Like, they're typically yeah. pretty static. Yeah, they're not very... Uh, they're pretty rigid, right? Um, so you're not going to be able to, like... I mean, you could, I guess, blow out walls and whatnot, but you're not going to build a new dungeon in, the, in, like, 10 days, right? You're going to blow out a wall, and it's going to be dirt behind it, and it'd be like a cave or something that they're going to dig out. So you could totally do that. Um, but you need to, like, think of these things ahead of time. It's like, when I'm building my dungeon, do I do I want the... Um, is this layout that I'm planning for going to work now, but also in the future? Is it is is like what happens if my players clear out this dungeon? What what could possibly go in here later? Um, like what are, what are the kinds of entities that could be in the dungeon, etc.? So, so you I'm need to consider all these things up front because if you build your dungeon and then you build it in a really cool way for now, and they clear that dungeon. And then they go back to want to go back to it, and you realize, oh crap! There's no way this makes sense for anything else to be in this dungeon. Um, then you're kind of you kind of designed yourself in a corner, and now you you got to figure out some way to fill a dungeon. With I'm thinking of a of a way to make a a because of the way Foundry and Roll Twenty work about a rigid map, like right, like the design of the map. It's I'm not going to go back into this image and mess with it. Mm -hmm. But what I'm thinking about is procedurally generated situations. So let's say I take my like my first uh, table would be like, you know, what if this area was just filled with just natural, you know, naturally occurring monsters? Mm -hmm. And then what would this place look like if it was filled with faction A, B, and C? Then I could design like when each of the players go through, I can either even, I could even just roll randomly to determine what they find. I think that's uh, too much work to do up front. I'm no, just you, you could totally do it here. that way. Um... I, the I way I do it is I do have I do have multiple versions of a map and I just have them as multiple scenes in Foundry, um, so I know oh, which one okay. you guys are going to. So the the actual scene in Foundry doesn't change. I just create a new scene with the new stuff. Um, mm -hmm. And then another thing I, I found is I build my maps in Dungeon Draft, um, but my games are in Foundry, and Foundry has an awesome Dungeon Draft map importer, which is great. Um, but I found that it's easier if I just build the basic du dungeon and dungeon draft, and then all the I, like, all the things that I, like, all the props and whatnot I place in foundries so that I can change them, move them around easily without having to modify the map itself. Um, that helps a lot as well. So like all the lights, all the beds, and all the furniture, and all the cooking stoves, and all that. Like anything like that, I, I try to place in Foundry now and, and instead of doing in, in Dungeon Draft. That way, if I need to move things around, or for instance, say the players say there's like a body right on the ground. Um, mm -hmm. If I build that into the map and then the players take that body, drag it out of the dungeon, I have no way of pulling it off the map. But if I do it on Foundry, right. I can just delete it from the map and the map itself stays unchanged. Or like uh, players are awesome. A treasure chest, for instance, right? If I if I have the treasure chest on the map and the players, instead of deciding to open the chest, they just take the entire freaking chest. Like, you know, it's going to... Sure, you could do Theater of the Mind. Like, oh, the chest is gone now. Even though you see it here, it's no longer there. But I think it's more engaging if I can just remove the chest from the map entirely and the players can put it in their inventory and it's done. So... I guess that uh, that changes over time with you using layers and being able to program all that in on Foundry. Well, that's the thing. That's the thing is, I I 
don't really need to in Foundry because they have Foundry has the idea of tiles, um, which you can just basically take an image and throw it on the map. And so I'm not like doing it like you do in Roll Twenty with various layers and whatnot, where I'm drawing stuff. I'm literally just have all the images in my asset repository. I just drag it out mm -hmm. on the map and then size it and position it where I want. Uh, yeah, there's not there's not really a concept of layers and whatnot. It's more just like you drag images out on the map, put them where you want, kind of deal. Um, I'm gonna have to run a West March eventually, but I'm gonna wait until at least uh, your West March is done for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and oh, this another thing too to... is that West Marches does not just need, need one GM. You can have if you have a large enough West Marches game, you can have more than one GM as well. Um, that right. are like but talking. you're gonna teach me how to uh, how to run Foundry in yeah. your stead. But I'm just talking to so you know, the audience to be... in general, like. You know, if, if you do have a West Marches game and you have a lot of people, you probably actually want to have more than one GM because it's a lot of work for one GM to do all that stuff. If you kind of delegate that work to other GMs and maybe this session, this GM runs it, right? You all are working together to determine the lore and everything in like a separate GM chat or whatever. But, you know, you don't have to be the only GM running the game, whether there's 14 people, whether there's five people, whether there's... 200 people right so um keep that in mind as well is that a lot of these really massive west marches discord servers have like tons of gms and they're all gming different sessions and whatnot so that's how you can kind of make the thing scale a bit more and my hope is that we can get enough people to actually bring jackie on as a gm into it one, one of these days to get their get their feet wet with west marches before they do their own thing my availability is a bit more flexible, and I also have time to fret, so... Well, but we I need, need to, more people, we need a few more so people. join us. <laughs> um, the new title to this West March is going to be Join the Join the Shifting Sands. <laughs> West March? No, it's uh, episode 24, Shifting Sands. <laughs> but I hope this video was uh, useful to everyone. Um, there's so much we talked about here and it's and we're really still figuring stuff out as we go as i said i'm completely new to west marches as well this is these are all just things i've learned as i've went mistakes i've made um things i've done right etc um i'm going to make more mistakes and i'm going to learn more things so maybe we'll do a follow-up to this someday in the future who knows um oh, but there's there's definitely going to have to be a follow-up uh Especially because we want, I want to see how you feel about West Marches being run in Starfinder, mm, and as well mm. as after we get other people running the West Marches, because this is a, a beginning introspective, yes. right? So right Very now we're so. we're covering topics about like feedback and um, you know like what you learned from your initial setup, mm -hmm. but uh, I, I feel like you're going to get better as I mean, you're, all, people are always improving. Mm -hmm. You're going to get become a more experienced master when it comes to handling west marches yep that's the goal at least um and it's kind of like you know it's one of the reasons i wanted to experiment with this i've never run one and i wanted it sounded cool so i wanted to try it out and see how it worked um so so far i can tell you viewers i've played in just about all the games john's a great gm um so uh, john plays in my games i play in john's games we're always jumping in and out of each other's games to you know fill in the numbers i can say that like they put forth a crap ton of effort they're, the dungeon draft is just plot on as far as maps and visuals go. So come check it out. I want, I want some more people to play with. Um, 
yeah, we mentioned all of our social media earlier on before we went into the final segment there. So, uh, is any last minute things you wanted to add before we, we log off Jackie? Uh, so we're not going to be, um, str- uh, we're not going to be running, uh, the art of main mastery uh, the 26th. Correct. And I'll probably stream something, see if anybody wants to get together. We'll pick a, a game or something to play. So that we can have, you know, just something. Right. But the second when we come back, I think uh, we will. You're, we're gonna be we'll hope to run seven. the second. We'll see how New Year's treats me. But right. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll have the to goal keep is to run the second. But... And um, you and I also need to come up with. Uh, we need to grab the the list of topics that we yeah. have and figure out like what we've you know what we've added to the list of topics and what we're gonna look. for show. Sure. Pick from the hand. And we are going to be doing um, as. Jackie mentioned the next part to the fate actual play on the 14th. That's the goal at least. Um, so definitely check out that when it's released, it won't be streamed. It'll just be a pre-recorded session. So I guess for all of you guys who are trying who who like what you see and want to help the algorithm comment down below about what you guys want to see us cover in the next uh, topic or hit us up on Twitter or in the discord or whatever. Thank you guys so much. Take care. Happy gaming.